Texas beat Wyoming 31 to 10 on Saturday, and there were 10 things. Yes, 10. 10 things I liked about the Longhorns' performance. You are Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked on. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on today to get started. And on today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, Texas beat Wyoming 31 to 10. So I have 10 things I like on this Monday morning about the Texas performance against Wyoming on Saturday. Yes, 10 things. I know that there were some uh, things left to be desired. So on Tuesday's episode, we'll come with the criticisms and concerns. But Monday is hard enough, so we're coming with all positives on today's episode of Locked on Longhorns. And then in the last segment, the Big 12 Roundup, everything you need to know about your least favorite conference, everything that took place outside of the University of Texas, all of that and more on today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. It's crazy how long the offseason is, right? It's nine months. It's so long. It feels like there's no end in sight. And you finally get to football. And you're like, man, it's here. You're, you're so excited about college football specifically. They got you watching week zero games that don't mean anything, you know, horrible matchups, but you're just so excited to see the product back on the field. Then you Texas plays week one and you're like, oh my God, it's finally here. And then you look up and they're already through their non-conference schedule, right? Already into week four, 25% through the, the regular season about to start their conference schedule against Baylor on Saturday. And you're like, man, it takes forever to get here. And then we get here and it just flies by. All right. So I promise I'm taking it day by day, week by week. But man, you wait nine months to get here and then the season just goes like that. All right. But, uh, you know, hopefully they can continue this good football they've been playing for the first three weeks and uh, take it on the road, you know, to Waco against Baylor on Saturday. Uh, the highest AP ranking since 2009 when we were ranked number two, we we're ranked number three currently. And I think the first time we've started three and oh, I want to say since 2009, it might be 2012, but it's been a long time. Right. So good things are happening on the 40 acres. Uh, and, you know, they beat Wyoming 31 to 10 on Saturday. Like I said, it wasn't always pretty, but they got a win. And that's, you know, something every team can't say, especially in the Big 12 over the weekend. So I'm going to talk about 10 things I liked. And I said I like 10 things about their performance. I kind of lied. It was nine things about their performance I liked. But it was 10 things I liked about the game on Saturday. And I was at the game. I kept telling y'all that I turned 30 um, on Saturday. And so I went to the game for that. Um, and it was really fun, right? And we talked all about, um, you know, the new DKR experience and, uh, you know, getting DKR SEC ready and, and all of this stuff. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, just with Texas being a really good football team um, and they expect to be a really good football team in the future, being one of the biggest brands in college football, it's not even about going to the SEC. I think you just want a game day experience specifically at night that leaves people in awe. And I will say that I went to two night games last year, TCU and UTSA. And then I went to the night game on Wyoming uh, or on Saturday against Wyoming. And with the orange neon lights, the smoke, the orange smoke coming up by uh, the student section, and then the drone show going into the fourth quarter with the hook em, uh in the sky with the lights, with the Longhorn in the sky with the lights, with the Texas fight in the sky uh, with the lights after Xavier Worthy scored that touchdown to break it open in the fourth quarter. I can truly say that I left DKR on Saturday in awe. So it's just a new 
um, you know, night game experience at DKR that definitely has us SEC ready. But I think now it's starting to be one of the best night game experiences in the country. And you need that at a program like the University of Texas, who should be playing some of the best football in the country this year and moving forward. All right. Now let's get on the field right, and talk about the actual football. I like the resilience of this team. You know, the past two years under Steve Sarkeesian, we've seen a first half team that was a front running team. Right. They could come out, um, you know, with their offensive scripts and, uh, you know, their their energy and their effort and all of that. And they could beat up on teams. Right. But they could not do it for 60 minutes. This was a 30 minute football team for the better part of the last two years. Right. And it felt like once they got punched in the mouth, they couldn't respond to it, right? We saw that in multiple games over the past two years at the University of Texas under Steve Sarkeesian. Now it feels like the script is flipped, right? They haven't been great in the first half of games this year, but they've really turned it on in the second half. So you look at the Rice game, you're up 16-3 to on Rice, and you feel like you should be up on them a little bit more. And now since then, Rice has proved that they're a pretty good football team. Uh, but you should have been up, you know, you should have been able to assert your will a little bit more uh, rather than only being up 16 to three on rice, but you come out in halftime and you score three straight touchdowns on three straight drives to go up 37 to three. And then they score a touchdown at the end. So you came out after halftime and showed resilience and asserted your will, right? When you were in a game that was closer than it should have been against rice, the same thing against Alabama, right? You're kind of dominating them the whole time, but it's not showing up on the scoreboard so much so that you leave them around enough for them to take the lead on a deep pass by Jalen Milrow, they go up 16 to 13. After that, you outscore them 21 to 8 in the fourth quarter. Resilience, right? And it was the same thing against Wyoming. You're letting this Wyoming team hang around. Uh, you're not as efficient as you would like to be on offense. You go into the fourth quarter 10 to 10, and then you outscore them 21 to 0. So, you know, maybe you should have beat up on Wyoming more. Maybe you should have not gone into the fourth quarter 10 to 10, but that's the reality. That's what happened. And you showed resilience and outscored them 21 to 0, locked it down, got the win and interconference play 3-0. and So I really like the resilience of this team, and I like this team's ability to take a punch from the other team and then respond, especially in the third and fourth quarters where money is made. This Texas football team is doing what great football teams do at the end of games. The third thing I like is Sark's adjustments. You know, um, we talked the first two years about Sark's adjustments being a little questionable at times. And, you know, I have to say that maybe that was a little bit overblown, but it definitely was something that has held this program back a little bit the last two years. Like I said, this felt like a football team the last two years that could play 30 minutes of really good football, uh, but would play 60 minutes of questionable football. And we would beat up on teams in the first half, but then teams would punch back and we wouldn't be able to respond in the second half. When I look at Sark's adjustment specifically, obviously the offense wasn't working in the first half. I thought he came out with a very conservative game plan. I'm not saying vanilla, right? It wasn't vanilla, but I thought he came out with a very conservative game plan. You didn't see a bunch of shot plays. You didn't see a bunch of trick plays. You just saw uh, we're going to line up and beat Wyoming. And I thought he called uh, a lot of layups, a lot of easy pass concepts for Quinn Ewers. And for whatever reason on Saturday, Quinn Ewers just didn't have it, right? He had it against Bama, didn't necessarily have it against Rice, definitely didn't have it against Wyoming. And so I thought that Sark really tried to be balanced in the first half. And um, like I said, just call simple offense that should have been efficient and should have been able to move the University of Texas offense up and down the field. And like I said, for whatever reason, um, you know, the run game was pretty good, but stalled out at times. And like, like I said, Quinn Ewers just didn't have it completing only about 50% of his passes. So when you looked at it, quarters one through three, going into the fourth quarter, when we were up 10 to 10, or we retired 10 to 10, there were 20 passes and 19 runs up until that point. And I'm in my group chat and everybody's saying, run the damn ball. And I'm at the game and everybody's saying, run the damn ball. And I kept telling people, like, 
Sark is going to run the ball, right? He's giving Quinn Ewers three quarters to figure it out. He's giving Quinn Ewers a chance, his five-star quarterback, to get it together. If he doesn't, he will take the ball out of Quinn Ewers' hands in the fourth quarter, and they will run this ball to victory. And in the fourth quarter, 12 runs and one pass. The one pass was behind the line of scrimmage to Xavier Worthy, which he took 44 yards for a touchdown. So basically, in the fourth quarter, we did not have an offensive play where the ball carrier got the ball beyond the line of scrimmage. On all 13 offensive plays in the fourth quarter, the ball carrier got the ball behind the line of scrimmage. And now this is the third time, which we saw it in the Baylor game and the Iowa State game, and now in the Wyoming game, where Sark had to take the ball out of the hands of his five-star quarterback. But nonetheless, he made the adjustments needed to win the game, 12 runs and one pass in the fourth quarter, en route to winning that quarter, 21-0, en route to winning that game, 31-10. to Speaking of all of those runs in the fourth quarter, this was Jonathan Brooks' breakout game for me. And coming into the season, we thought that he was the heir apparent to be in the running back one after B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson left, right? And based on what we saw in high school and in limited opportunity behind B. John and Roshan and I guess Keelan Robinson, we felt like Jonathan Brooks had a really good chance to be a great running back on a great offense for this Texas football team. And then about a week before the season, we find out that Cedric Baxter starting in you know, Cedric Baxter was the number one running back in the country. We know how talented he is. So it was a surprise, but I didn't, you know, look at it with too much of a raised eyebrow because I'm like, okay, well, you know, maybe he just was the best running back in camp. But then week one against Rice, I saw both of them play. And to me, Jonathan Brooks just looked like the better running back, right? And I know Cedric Baxter wasn't 100% in week two against Alabama, but to me, Jonathan Brooks just looked like the better running back. And then on Saturday, Cedric Baxter did not play. They wanted to hold him out, you know, uh, to be cautious, which I think is really good. You know, you have a, a long season. He's going to acclimate it to college football. If he's not 100%, you can beat Wyoming without him. So I like the fact that they held him out. But that gave Jonathan Brooks the opportunity to break out. And I feel like he should be the running back one going into the Baylor game. 21 carries for 164 yards on Saturday. And in the fourth quarter, when it was time to close, when the money was in the middle of the table, when you went into that quarter tied 10 to 10, nine carries for 107 yards. He was our closer on Saturday. And I believe through three games, he has been our best running back, period. And I still think that you can give Cedric Baxter the Roshan diet that he got last year. Roshan Johnson got like 120, 130 touches last year, and nobody felt like Roshan Johnson was underutilized. Now, of course, Jonathan Brooks is not as good as Bijan, and you can make you know the, the touch share a little bit closer if you want to, but nonetheless, I think Jonathan Brooks needs to be running back one for this football team. I think Jonathan Brooks needs to get the majority of the touches at the running back position, and I think Cedric Baxter needs to complement Jonathan Brooks at this point. I think Cedric Baxter may one day be better than Jonathan Brooks, but I just haven't seen it yet. And I think Saturday solidified it. 21 carries for 164 yards, 107 yards in the fourth quarter, closing the deal against Wyoming. And then the fifth thing I want to talk about before we go to break is just Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell. And they win in two different ways, but they're just special, right? And I think if the passing game would have gotten going the way Sark would have liked it to, you would have saw a really explosive performance from Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell. But Xavier Worthy had four catches for 56 yards and one touchdown. One of those plays came on that 44-yard touchdown that really broke it open, and he's just so special. You talk about his quickness and his speed. I remember sitting at the game, right, and I'm on that side of the field where he caught it on that boundary, and he catches the ball, and two defenders have the angle on, right? The first defender that he literally just runs around, and then the second defender he kind of jabs inside to freezes him, and it keeps outside to score the touchdown. Two defenders 
had the angle on Xavier Worthy on a 44-yard touchdown, and he just runs by him effortlessly, right? And you talk about that elite speed, that elite quickness. He's going to make plays on Sunday in the NFL, right? Of course, he's had some drop problems. He's had some consistency issues. But you can't teach that <laughs> what he did on Saturday, catching that ball behind the line of scrimmage and just running past people for 44 yards. He's special. I wish he could have had a bigger game against Wyoming. And then A.D. Mitchell, I looked at the box score, saw he had three catches for 30 yards. I was like, that's it? Like, he just feels like he has such a bigger impact, right? Those tough catches over the middle, those big-time third-down catches over the middle when he's getting all of that one-on-one -on -one coverage on the other side because they're so worried about the running game, the tight ends, and Jordan Whittington and Xavier Worthy. And A.D. Mitchell was just a man on that other side, like I said, going across the middle and just making huge plays for this Texas football team, plays we've missed opposite Xavier Worthy for the last two years. And like I said, I'm surprised he only had three catches for 30 yards because the impact felt bigger than that. So – you know, it was just a tough day for the passing game, only 150 passing yards. But I thought with the opportunities Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell got, they reminded us why they're so special. And this offense has the potential to be one of the best in the nation. A quick word from our sponsors. And then there was five more things I liked. A lot of them coming on the defensive end against Wyoming. The Athletic Brewing Company has completely changed the non-alcoholic beer game. They make non-alcoholic beers that actually taste good, full flavor and well-crafted, just like a full-strength beer. Their brews are great tasting and award-winning and beat out full-strength beers in global competitions. They brew over 50 styles of craft non-alcoholic beer, including IPAs, Golden Sours, and more. They're constantly releasing limited edition experimental styles to add to their variety. They are fit for all time, so you can drink them anytime, anywhere, and make any activity even more enjoyable, like watching a big game or your kid's game, tackling work or working out, etc. You can find Athletic Brewing Company's non-alcoholic brews at a store near you or buy online at athleticbrewing.com. First-time customers can use code LOCKEDON to get 15% off your first online order. That's code LOCKEDON at checkout for 15% off at athleticbrewing.com near beer exclusions and conditions apply athletic brewing company fit for all times all right five more things i liked about the texas performance on saturday uh the byron murphy sequence on offense i was down at the side of the field where this happened and i thought it was really cool we saw this a couple times last year where they would bring in Tavondre sweat and byron murphy as kind of the big body fullbacks uh you know to help with goal line packages and this time it was just byron murphy and I think he plays so hard on the defensive end. He's a leader on this team, brings a motor, and is part of one of the best defensive lines in the country. So I think it's cool to, you know, get him out there and get him some touches on the offensive end. And you tried to ram it in on first down with Byron Murphy at fullback. That didn't work, right? Sark tried to ram it in on second down with Byron Murphy at fullback, and that didn't work. So what does he do on third down when the whole country thinks that he's just going to ram it in one more time? He sends Byron Murphy out on the route, right? And you're thinking at first thought when he's running, you're like, oh, okay, he's just the lead blocker. But then you see the play action or whatever, you know, action was back there. And you realize, oh, Byron Murphy's actually on a route. And that's exactly like what's going through the defender's head. And then you turn around and Quinn Ewers just throws a perfect pass to Byron Murphy. And he makes a perfect catch as a big man. So I really like that sequence uh, from Steve Sarkeesian. You know, you have so many weapons, you know, that sometimes, uh, you know, you can go crazy trying to get them all the ball. But, you know, he got down there and he just said, put one of our biggest players on the team in, in Byron Murphy. Used them as a fullback twice. That didn't work. Used them as a receiver. Seven points on the board. The seventh thing I liked was the Wildcat looks with Savion Red. And I know some Texas fans have PTSD from the way we used Wildcat last year with Roshan Johnson, the Rocat, 
I guess we can say. And it just really wasn't effective. It felt like it was really basic and we used it the same way the entire season. I don't think they even threw a pass out of it one time last year, especially in the Texas Tech game. It just was really frustrating how much we used it, how simple it was when we used it and how we never used any variations off of it, especially for somebody as great of a play caller as Steve Sarkeesian. And even though we didn't throw any passes off of it in this game, I thought we used it in really timely situations where it threw off the defense, right? One, you have to cover Quinn Ewers on the outside because Savion Red did play Wildcat quarterback in high school. I think he has the capability to make some easy throws in that Wildcat if they're available. And he's one of the strongest, most physical runners on the team. So if you leave it in his hands, you're going to have to deal with him in short yardage. So it was good to see Savion Red get out the doghouse and be on the field. I think him playing scout team Jalen Milrow uh, played a big part of that. And then also with Cedric Baxter being injured, it opened the door for Savion Red to get on the field. And I thought those couple of Wildcat plays that he ran, those looks that he gave were really good for this Texas football team and extended a couple of drives. We're going to the defensive side. My eighth thing I like, Jade Barron was everywhere. You know, I've said that he's one of the most underrated players in the country. When you looked at the season he had last year, wasn't even first or second team all Big 12 with his performance. You're saying 10 DBs were better in the conference than Jade Barron last year. I call cap on that. And then he was not preseason first team coming into this season. And when you look at what he does at the star position, he is a linebacker, a, a corner, and a safety all wrapped into one. And he plays like one at various points of the game. Right? He can come downhill. He can make tackles behind the line of scrimmage. He can cover deep. He can cover short. He can do anything you want him to. And they haven't asked him to do it a ton this year, but we saw last year he's a great blitzer as well. He's just somebody who you would see like in that Patriot system, right? Where you just put him in that Patriot system, he can do a little bit of everything. But he is a special football player, a special football player for this Texas football team. And you saw it on Saturday. Jade Barron, I wasn't watching it on TV. I was watching it in the stands. But I'm sure if you was watching it on TV, Jade Barron, like I like to say, jumped off the screen. The next thing I liked was Jaron Thompson with two picks in two weeks, this time taking it to the house, right? I talked all last year about Jaron Thompson. I said he was a light-skinned safety, right? I still... Got that, you know, image in my head of Donovan Smith from Texas Tech running him over or carrying him across the fourth down line, you know, when we couldn't get off the field. And he was always in position last year, right? Always in position to make plays, but he couldn't catch. I think he only had one interception after dropping like three or four of them, you know what I mean? And then like missing a fumble recovery. He was just always around the ball, but couldn't get the ball. But I said coming into the season, he was a really smart safety. And I think he had the ability to be first or second team all Big 12. And it was funny because in the Alabama game, he gave up that big play where Alabama goes up 16 to 13, but then he comes back and makes up for it, picking off Jalen Milrow, probably the easiest interception he ever had, right? And this game, he kind of gets burnt, you know, for the 62-yard touchdown in the first quarter. But then he put seven points on the board himself in the fourth quarter with a pick six to really seal the deal for the Texas Longhorns. So I said Jaron Thompson would be first or second team all Big 12 this year. He's already got two picks in three games, right? So he's definitely on track to do that. But seriously, you know, he gave up two big plays over the last two weeks, and then he made two big plays for this Texas football team after that to make up for it. Jaron Thompson, one of the best safeties in the Big 12, and he approved it in the non-conference schedule. And then the last thing I liked about this Texas football team and their performance, the defense only allowed three points after the first drive. Like, I know they weren't as sharp as they were in the Rice game, and I know they weren't as sharp as they were uh, in the Bama game, specifically in the run uh, in the first quarter, but I give them some grace, right? You know, playing Bama takes a lot out of you, and I knew that this team would come out flat. I didn't think they would be tied 10-10 going into the fourth quarter, but I was at the UTSA game last year where we were down 17 to 7. I just I've just seen it two years in a row now. Bama takes something out of you. And I knew that they were going to come out flat, right? And I'm glad that they won uh, you know, the fourth quarter 21 to 0. 
but it looked like the defense came out flat as well. And Wyoming took advantage of that and they ran the ball, you know, down their throat. And, you know, the running back did a really good job of finding holes and he found one for 62 yards. But after that, they kind of tightened up. They had the one drive where Wyoming got down into the red zone, I think. Um, and then they made a really big play to get a sack on third down by Baron Sorrell uh, to hold them to a field goal. They tie it 10 to 10 and then you come right back and Xavier Worthy scores from 44 yards out to put the game away. Right. So uh, they had one drive really you know, where they made some noise after that 62-yard run and our defense shut it down and ended it with the sack. And for the most part, outside of that, Wyoming couldn't do anything on this Texas defense. And that's going to be a theme throughout the season. I really think that this is a team that is led by their defense, as explosive as the pieces on the offense are. So shout out the defense. Like I said, I give them some grace. You know, you got 2,000 pounds coming at you on every run play. And, you know, it's just hard to do that week in and week out with some, with some consistency, right? So there are going to be some games where you just get beat up a little bit in the trenches. But you know what I mean? Look at the scoreboard at the end. It didn't matter too much. So that was 10 things I liked about Texas performance uh, against Wyoming on Saturday. Feels good to be 3-0. and Feels good to be undefeated heading into conference play against Baylor on Saturday. And speaking of conference play, the Big 12 is not looking too great right now after Brett Yormark was bumping his chest in the offseason. Quick word from our sponsors. And then we give you a sad, a somber, <laughs> not for us, <laughs> Big 12 roundup to end the show. This episode of Locked On Longhorns is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnCollege today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash LockedOnCollege college all right time for our big 12 roundup you know what we do every third segment on monday every monday on the third segment i should say same thing probably kansas state i'm so disappointed in kansas state you know i picked kansas state to beat texas later on in the season i wasn't confident about that pick i just said texas was going 10 and 2 so i had to find the two and then kansas state couldn't even make it through the non-conference schedule undefeated Went out there, embarrassed the Big 12, and lost to Missouri on a 61-yard field goal. You know, I will say that this time last year, Kansas State was losing to Tulane, and that was a better loss than we thought it was. So maybe Missouri is just really good at football. But nonetheless, Kansas State was supposed to win that game, top 15 team in the country. They were supposed to be one of the biggest contenders to Texas for the Big 12 championship this year. Couldn't even start the season 3-0. and So another one of Brett Yormark's crown jewels, another one of Brett Yormark's uh, leaders of the future, leaders of the new Big 12, starts the season 2-1 and one with a loss that most people would say was a bad loss for the Kansas State Wildcats. The second game was Baylor beat Long Island 30-7. to Look, they needed a gimme. They lost to Texas State, and then they lost to Utah without Cam Rising, and they played the Texas Longhorns on Saturday. They needed a win. They needed to feel good about themselves, and thankfully, Long Island came to town. Unfortunately, the next time they play a football game, it'll be the Longhorns in town. And this score will probably look the same, but it'll be Texas to 30, Baylor to 7. Three, Iowa State lost to Ohio, 7 to 10. How embarrassing. And when you look at Iowa State, this program has just fallen off the map. Matt Campbell was trying to fight a fan after the game. They're talking about that five-star culture. <laughs> Where's it at, Matt Campbell? Look, I, you know, shout out Iowa State, man. I went to high school in Iowa. That's a super fun fact for y'all. Most of y'all probably didn't know that. You know, so I support Iowa State. I support Iowa. But, man, 
they were talking about Matt Campbell in the NFL. They were talking about Matt Campbell at some of the biggest programs in the country. Now you're stuck at Iowa State, and Iowa State can't beat Ohio. Yikes. Oklahoma beat Tulsa 66-17. to Oklahoma just continues to smack up on these teams that have no business being on the same field with Oklahoma, but we'll just have to see. They don't really have any tests until they play Texas in Red River. I have a feeling, you know, there's going to be two undefeated, probably top 10 to top 12 teams playing against each other in the Cotton Bowl, you know, on the sixth Saturday of the college football season, or I guess the seventh Saturday of the college football season, if you count week zero. But nonetheless, right, Oklahoma – they're beating up on these teams that can't match the talent level of Texas. We'll see what happens in the Red River Showdown. Villanova 14, UCF 48. I did not know Villanova had a football program. I'm sure you didn't know Villanova had a football program. Their football program lost by 34 points to UCF. Miami of Ohio 31, Cincinnati 24. Poor Cincinnati. But Miami, Ohio said they were going to beat Miami, Florida. Like, they really felt confident about that game. So, Clearly, they knew what they had. They knew they were special. They knew they could beat a team like Cincinnati. I guess the U is back, right? <laughs> South Alabama 33 over Oklahoma State 7. This is just a reminder that Oklahoma State does not have a quarterback, and Spencer Sanders wanted to spend his seventh year of eligibility at Oklahoma State, and Mike Gundy told him no. And now you're losing to South Alabama by 26 points. I will say South Alabama sounds like they got some athletes, though. <laughs> if you know, you know. Tarleton State, three, Texas Tech, 41. Good job, Joey McGuire. Good job. Does the Big 12 run through Lubbock at this point? <laughs> BYU, 38, Arkansas, 31. Look, I know Arkansas is not the class of the SEC, but that's a tough place to play. They do have SEC bodies on that football team. And for a team like BYU to go into that type of environment, to go into – Vietnam, you know, and win a game against Arkansas in that fashion, score 38 points after only scoring 14 points in their week one victory. BYU looking like a really good football team right now. The backyard brawl, right? Probably the most unglamorous backyard brawl of all time. Pittsburgh and West Virginia, absolutely zero hype for this game. I remember just last year for the first game of the season when they had JT Daniels, the whole world couldn't wait to watch this game. Now I'm like, oh, Pitt and West Virginia played on Saturday. That's nice. Well, West Virginia beat Pitt 17 to 6. And based on what I've seen from West Virginia, that's an indictment on Pitt. But I'm here to talk about the Big 12, not the ACC. TCU and Houston. Ooh, we got a conference game. 36 to 13. Look, too much has been made about TCU losing to Colorado. Clearly, that is a good football team in Colorado, who is now 3-0. TCU is a very good football team as well. So for everybody that's thinking that TCU is just going to roll over and die, like, no. They're still a very good football team. Now, are they going to go – to the national championship game? No. Are they going to go 13 and one right through the Fiesta Bowl? Right. No, I guess. Are they going to go 12 and 0 in the regular season? No. But are they going to be a very competitive football team that's going to have a chance to win every time they line up on Saturday? Of course. And that showed against Houston on Saturday. And then Kansas against Nevada. I said I would sleep on Kansas. They have a really nice offense, scored 31 points against Nevada. Didn't beat up on them like you would expect uh, a team with more talent in Kansas to do against Nevada. But Nevada has been a a formidable program as well, but you know, it doesn't matter. Kansas is undefeated heading into conference play. And in two weeks, I think that's going to be a tough game for Texas, even though I think Texas wins handily, you know, towards the end, I do think that it's going to be a game. They at least struggle in the first half against Kansas with uh, in route to beating them pretty badly. Hopefully I'm not going to make sure it happens against Kansas in two weeks. So that's our big 12 roundup. Uh, the big 12 just looks bad right now, right? You only have, I think, Four undefeated teams like BYU, UCF, 
Texas and Oklahoma heading into week four. Like already 10 teams in your conference have lost. It's just bad. Uh, this is a nightmare scenario for Brett Yormark in the last year of the uh, Texas and Oklahoma being in the Big 12. Texas and Oklahoma are carrying the Big 12. This is not what he envisioned at all. But, hey, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes, right? And karma is slapping Brett Yormark in the face right now. Hard. Like you can hear the slap. Like, <laughs> that wasn't even hard enough. Like, <laughs> all right, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Locked On Longhorns Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today, it was my job to pump sunshine into this Texas football team. But you had some concerns. I had some concerns. I'll deliver them tomorrow. Hook them. Peace.